I confess, I love my girlfriend very much. But sometimes I still think about broke back mountain cowboying in to a dude's mouth and just living my full life. <laughs> Not the life my grandparents thought for me. <laughs> grandparents don't know. I confess. My boyfriend and I used a strap-on, or I used a boyfriend uh, strap-on on him, and it was my first time ever, and I nearly threw my back out. <laughs> I'm not used to that kind of thrusting. I know that. I know that. I've been there, where I'm just like, wait, what do you do here? I don't understand. I don't have those muscles. It's isolation. But I'm going to try. <laughs> See how it goes. I confess, I grew up Jehovah Witnessed. Maybe that's the reason why I enjoy hardcore kinky sex. I confess. I confess. My boyfriend's 12-year-old found my dildo in his dad's nightstand. This is the part that I'm kind of like, okay. We told him his mom had one, too. Not sure that made him feel better. Well, no, it, it wouldn't. It makes you feel better. Sex. Almost everybody does it, and almost nobody talks about it, except at Bedpost Confessions, a storytelling show based in Austin, Texas. Whether the stories are funny, informative, political, or completely personal, the anonymous confessions from the audience are the stars of every show. Welcome to the Bedpost Confessions podcast. I'm Bedpost producer Miranda Wiley. This week, Robert R.J. integrates the personal with the political in his essay, Sexual Harassment. I don't get it. Robert Arget is a repeat bedpost performer and political junkie who's worked for the Texas Ledge and the Department of Family and Protective Services. He also writes erotica and occasionally reads the Texas Penile Code for relaxing fun. One note before we hear Robert's story. All bedpost storytelling productions are made accessible to the deaf audience members by the fantastic interpreters from Soul Illumination. Though the interpreters are there to serve the deaf and hard of hearing, they enthrall the entire crowd with American Sign Language. If you hear a roar of laughter and don't understand why, the interpreter may have stolen the show for a minute. Now, on with the episode. Here is Robert Arget with Sexual Harassment. I don't get it. So the title of this piece is Sexual Harassment. I don't get it. Not like it doesn't happen to me, although that's true too, but as in I don't comprehend the sheer, overwhelming, infuriating, exhausting extent of the problem. One of the reasons I know this is because I started writing this piece back in November after Bedpost producer Julie Gillis asked on Facebook, do men really not know that nearly every woman you know has a story about some man jerking off at her, on her, by her? Do you really not know that this happens a lot? No, I didn't. I absolutely did not. I mean, I've always been aware that it happens, like other bizarre and hurtful behaviors, but no. 
I had no idea how common this particular criminal act, and yes, it is a criminal act, we'll get to that in a bit, is. If you asked me what percentage of women have had this experience, I would have guessed 10%? Maybe, maybe 20? But nearly every woman? Seriously? Seriously, yeah. Nearly every woman, which doesn't mean that nearly every man likes to jack off in front of women without consent. It would only take a small minority of men to affect nearly every woman. Which means, as bad as that minority, and I do hope it's a minority, of men are, it's the rest of us. Me and you. And all the guys who are thinking, damn, I'd never whip my dick out and do that. It's us who bear the important responsibility right now. The offenders, fuck them. Punish them if you can, fire them, ban them from the venue, whatever. But if nearly every woman has experienced that level of sexual harassment, exactly how the hell have these assholes been getting away with it? Huh? If those assholes were doing things like vandalizing cars, do you think we would hear, 90% of drivers have had their windshields smashed by random assholes? Or 90% of pet owners have had a dog shot, often by someone they know and trust. Hell no! Hell fucking absolutely no fucking way. No. That was happening to 90% of the people in Austin. You can bet the APD would be on that, and there would be a state of emergency or something, and the assholes who were doing it would stop doing it, or they would get stopped really damn fast. But that's not how it works with sexual harassment. Non-consensual masturbation is a fairly specific offense, but if we widen it to, oh, I don't know, maybe anything that falls under chapters 21 or 22 of the Texas Penal Code, I wasn't joking. I'll bet you couldn't find a woman in this room or any other room who hadn't been victimized in one of those ways, such as section 21.11 which includes your wife's creepy uncle at the beach flashing his dick at her when she was seven. (laughs) Section 21.15, which includes the time your college roommate snuck into the women's shower and took some pictures. Section 22.011B3, which includes the time my best friend in high school had sex with a girl who had passed out at a party. It simply did not occur to me, or him, I assume, that it was rape. We looked at it as more of a a skanky move, a a faux pas of sexual propriety and judgment. I'm still ashamed of that. Then, there's section 22.01A3, which includes every single woman who has ever been touched, fondled, groped, or grabbed in a way that she regards, and I quote, as offensive or provocative, which is damn near every single woman. And for every one of these women, for every one of them, there is a man who has committed a criminal offense against her body, assault to be specific. And yet, there's no state of emergency, no police press conference, no urgent task force trying to contain this epidemic of crime. No. This is just everyday life for 50% of the population. And for the rest of the population, you, me, all the guys in the audience, we don't get it. 
And the reason we don't get it is that if you haven't lived a significant part of your life as female, you literally cannot get it. You and I can have no real idea of what it's like to be subject to or afraid of the very real possibility of sexual harassment and or sexual assault every single day. We've never had our safety radar go off because we suddenly realized we're the only woman left at the party. We don't seriously consider the possibility of sexual assault literally every time we have to walk through a dark parking garage. I have never, and you have probably never, had a man yank your earbuds out to get you to talk to him. And it's not even that we haven't necessarily had these experience once. We're talking about every goddamn day. There are entire industries, including our government, where if you are female, you are simply expected to put up with sexual harassment at the very least, or get sexually assaulted and keep quiet about it at worst if you want to keep your job. Case in point, an acquaintance of mine was complaining about her internship in the state senate. One of the other women, casually, mind you, asked her, has anyone told you not to be alone with Senator Whitmire? My classmate just grimaced and said, Mm, he only likes blondes. Like he was a laser printer that always jammed or a vending machine that always took your money and gave you the wrong gosh darn candy bar. Golly gee shucks. Like his predation on women for decades his junior was just part of office life you had to put up with or <laughs> rather that women had to put up with. Because the men at the legislature overwhelmingly don't have to put up with that. And when they do, it is the exception, not a defining characteristic of their everyday life. We, as men, don't get it because we don't have to. We have that privilege. Whether we get it or not, we have to respond to it. And the first response required of us now, as men, is simple. Two words. Listen. And believe. This is not a women's problem. This is a men's problem. Just like crime isn't a victim's problem, it's a problem that exists because certain people like to do things that are abusive and harmful to other people. Only replace certain people with a terrifying proportion of men and other people with 50% of the human race. And fuck the vanishingly small rate of false accusations. Our job is to listen to women and believe what they say. Because guess what? They get it. And we don't. But we can listen and we can believe. Think of it this way. Imagine your friend one day breaks down and tells you about the trauma of watching people get blown into hamburger in Iraq. Would you even consider... Well, come on, it couldn't have been that bad. Or, I think you're overreacting. Or the ever-popular, well, did you ask them to stop? <laughs> no! Absolutely not. You would say, holy shit, that sounds awful. And I know I can't even grasp the sheer awfulness of it. Because you have actually lived this experience... Whereas I literally lack even the frame of reference necessary to understand it. So, here's a perfect example of someone who did not listen and did not believe. A friend of mine 
had a run-in with a perfectly nice male co-worker who, out of nowhere, asked her for a hug and started calling her baby girl. So, via text, she told him, and I quote, No harm, but I'm really not comfortable with being called that. Please don't. Then, justifiably proud of herself, she shows her text to a male friend, and he says, Wow, that was harsh. You know, most people don't really mean anything by it when they say it that way. Yeah. What he told her was pretty much, uh, despite lacking any necessary frame of reference to contradict you, I'm going to argue that you misunderstood your experience, and I don't think you're competent to react appropriately to your own experience, for which I don't even have a frame of reference. Or like the time someone tried to sexually assault my then-girlfriend when she and I were blind drunk, the next morning I told her she'd probably misunderstood what had happened. Yeah, I said that. We can do better. If a woman tells us our friend makes her feel creepy, we listen and we believe, and we don't compare it to our experience with that friend. We listen, we believe. Then we got to do one more thing. We have to speak up. We have to take a stand. We have to call other men out when they do creepy shit, whether we saw it with our own two eyes or not. Because we are living in a very important moment, and shit is changing real fast, and has the potential to change even faster. Shortly after beginning this piece, when the Me Too movement was exploding, I saw a repost of a woman's tweet. Last night, a stranger started groping me during a show at the Basement East. I punched him in the face. Welcome to 2017, asshole. Yeah. And that's not just feel-good, ass-kicking, Wonder Woman-style bravado. That is a statement that shit has changed. That we have reached a turning point. Civil rights movement didn't start in 1955, and it didn't end in 1967. But during that time, a lot of change happened very quickly. Huge numbers of people made major shifts in what they thought was fair and unfair, and how we should react to unfairness. You've probably seen this picture before. It's from Bloody Sunday, March 7, 1965, when the Alabama State Troopers decided to stop the peaceful march from Selma to Montgomery by literally beating people senseless with hardwood clubs. Quick historical note, see the guy in the trench coat getting his skull fractured by a state trooper? Today he represents Georgia in the United States Congress. That's absolutely right. Bloody Sunday was a turning point. Sometimes shit changes very rapidly because Bloody Sunday or the Stonewall Uprising or Harvey Weinstein. And after decades or more of activism, millions of people finally wake up and say, Hey, it's, it's actually not okay to treat people badly because of some inherent trait they possess. And millions of other people say, That's right, and we are not going to be quiet about it anymore. And that first group of people goes, Holy shit! How long has this been going on? We need to start holding people accountable. And the second group inwardly says, Jesus Christ, where have you been for like all of history? But outwardly, they say, that's right. And we are going to hold these people accountable. And they do. And shit changes. Right now. Right now, this year, today, tonight, 
Women suffer grossly disproportionately from men's sexual misconduct. And it's time for us to start calling it out. It's time to stop looking the other way or making excuses for our creepy friends or telling women they must have imagined it or taken it the wrong way or just shut up and don't rock the boat. So, one final anecdote. I took a minute to check Facebook while I was literally working on the first draft of this essay and found that an extended family member, a really damn liberal one at that, had sent me a rather pointed private message complaining about how I commented on his sexist post. This sexist post, to be specific. He said, in part, I feel that you're stepping over a line into the realm of policing. Well, it is obviously your right to post whatever you like to your own social media accounts. Please do not make the mistake of thinking that it's acceptable for you to police mine. TLDR, that's too long, didn't read. I'm going to continue posting things I think are funny, whether you like it or not. My response, in its entirety, was this. Quote, post whatever you want, but I will call shit out when I think it's sexist. (laughs) Harvey Weinstein, Roy Moore, et al. got away with sexual harassment and assault for decades, largely because men don't call other men out nearly often enough. We are at a moment of dramatic change in that regard. TLDR, you don't want to get called out on sexist shit? Don't post sexist shit. End quote. I confess, I started masturbating when I was about five years old. It felt so good, I tried to teach my friends how to also make their pee-pee explode. Why wouldn't you? I mean, that's yeah. new and cool and novel. You gotta Except know how to do this. I have a five and a half year old. <laughs> so Does PP explode? I mean, we, that's a question I should not ask. I mean, it, they're, <laughs> like, those boys are touching their penises all the time. It's just, it's too much. But I'm imagining, like, now that, like, the, the kid is always saying why he wants to go over to that person's house. Like, <laughs> that's why. Because. He's learning a new skill. The mom has no idea. She thinks she's just being a good mom. And then a jerk, a circle jerk is happening. I think it's time to start having conversations about consent, Mia. Oh, I, with my, th- yes. that, that was my story about that confession, <laughs> oh, no. not my kids. Yes. No. no. But about your kids. My kids are great. <laughs> I confess, the person I'm with makes me nervous, and I wish she would give me head. (laughs) That's a great sentence structure. (laughs) I confess, my girlfriend had her first threesome while she was out of town this weekend. And I had two dates with two different girls while she was gone. When she got home, we excitedly swapped stories and then had really, really great sex with each other. And to that I say, hooray for polyamory. When it works, it's so fucking beautiful. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm not trying to sound bitter. I'm just really saying, like, 
That takes a lot of work. It's funny. I totally echo that sentiment. Congratulations. Like, oh. It's like, yeah. Oh. Yeah, because it does work. It takes work. It That's does. the thing. I don't want to be up here reading these confessions like, hooray. Like, y'all, it's, it's a lot of work. We know. We know. <laughs> it's too much work for me right now. <laughs> Feel that. All right. I confess. One time I had sex with a guy who came on my chest. I wiped off and went about my day. Later, I had sex with a different guy who, while licking and sucking my tits, asked, what perfume? Uh, de semen? I thought to myself, the worst part was that the first guy turned out to be a Trump supporter. Oh! I never felt so dirty. Those are your confessions, folks. Keep them coming. Bedpost Confessions is recorded in front of a live audience at the North Door in Austin, Texas. To view our 2020 calendar or snag an I Confess t-shirt, tote, or journal, visit bedpostconfessions.com. Follow at Bedpost Confessions on Instagram and Facebook for even more audience confessions. Links in our show notes. Bedpost Confessions is produced by myself, Miranda Wiley, and Sadie Smythe. Our podcast production team is Mariah Gossett, Mike Moody, and Permanent Record Studios. Like what you're hearing on the Bedpost Confessions podcast? Please recommend the show to a friend. And if you have the time, we would love a review with a confession, perhaps. We want all to be a part of Bedpost Confessions. Thank you and keep confessing. <laughs>